I think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, on a head to head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 329 of Low Limit Football on this 20th of June, 2021. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, the world is shocked as Christian Eriksen collapses in Denmark's Euro opening match in Copenhagen. We're going to update you on his condition today. The Copa America kicks off, and Brazil, the initial favorites, take full control of their group in this competition, and the Euros head into round three of the group stages this week with plenty of drama, surprises, and even uncertainty for some of the top teams. We're going to discuss that and much, much more with our very special guest, Mr. Carlo Garganese, who on the Italian Football Podcast, who's going to be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How are you, my man? I'm good, Joe. I'm good. I think it's uh, very much refreshing that we're seeing the summer of soccer go into full swing. And we've already seen so many, you know, get good matches, you know, good players playing. I think it's it's, it's fun to see it. You know, it feels like, you know, uh, not today, obviously, but like on another typical day, you know, you would start your morning at 9 a.m. all the way up to 3 p.m. with the three Euro games. And then you follow up at night for the two Copa America matches. So it's it's been pretty fun, I should say. Yeah, we're going to lose that 9 a.m. slot now, unfortunately, because we're hitting day three of, uh, or match day three for the different groups. So unfortunately, the... The, the full schedule is going to go by the wayside, which breaks my heart a little bit because it was nice to be able to wake up in the morning and get a match. But, um, you know, still, we're going to get really, really good soccer coming through. And, and like you said, you know, we've got some excitement. We've got some young players that have come through um, that I'm sure we're going to be discussing in both competitions. Um, and just been, been a great, great summer of soccer kicked off uh, so far. And, um, you know, once this competition's over, we're going to get into the Gold Cup here in the United States as well. We've still got MLS going. They they picked back up last night. And uh, and next week, or I'm sorry, uh, next month, we're gonna we're gonna start looking at uh, Champions League and back to the 21-22 season, my friend. It, it just goes by fast, yeah. It's it like does. from one tournament to another, leading into the World Cup. You know, next summer is gonna be very boring if you think about it. No, because we have World Cup qualifiers. We'll, we'll have a couple, yeah, but not not this day to day schedule that we love. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's so, true. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's let's jump into it. And and my friend, um, we've been we. 
technically been away for a couple of weeks, but we haven't. We did our our um, Copa America preview and our Euro preview, which we re- released as separate shows and specials. So if you hadn't caught those, you know, go back to them and check them out and see if uh, we got any of it right. I guess right. I think we're pretty close though uh, on some of the things, but uh, but certainly definitely go check those out. But I have the trivia question. It's actually my uh, my honor this week. So you ready for it? Go for it. Let's do it. So. Uh, Stefan Moulin was the Angers coach. Uh, he was the longest tenured coach in the top five leagues, uh, but he he departed at the end of the league on season. With his departure, who now is the longest tenured coach in the top five leagues in Europe? Ooh, there you go. Ooh, I I, I think I have one. I think I have a name. Okay, I, I, I you know I, I think if you don't get this one right initially, you you might kick yourself. So, yeah, uh, but yeah. So we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the show. Uh, let's 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 get into it. And opening thoughts, since we've got a great guest uh, who is over on the other side of the pond and intently watching the Euros and everything that's going on, we're going to kick off our opening thoughts with Copa America. And Copa America kicked off last week. We we saw a great start to it uh, with with some pretty exciting matches. Um, and I want to just give you the standings of the groups real quick. Uh, some of the some of the teams have only played one match too, by the way, so far. But they're going to correct that starting tomorrow. Uh, Argentina currently leading Group A with four points after a win and a draw. Chile, same record, uh, same everything exa- exactly. Uh, I don't even know where the tiebreaker would be if this ended today because Chile Argentina tied one one. I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you what, um, Joe. Go fair play it. points. Oh, fair play points. And so Chile has minus four. Argentina has minus five. So right now Chile would be the leaders. Would be the group winners. So there you go. Because otherwise they've scored two goals. They've conceded one each um, and pretty level. Third place, Paraguay, after only one match, three points. Uruguay, after only one match as well, they are on no points. They lost 1-0 to Argentina just a couple days ago. And then Bolivia, bringing up the rear, uh, gave a little bit of a scare to uh, to Paraguay in that first match, taking the 1-0 lead, um, but then conceding three goals. So they bring up the bottom uh, fifth place in Group A, uh, something I think you and I predicted right off the bat. Uh, Group B, no surprises here either. Brazil leading the way, seven goals for, no goals against. Winners of both their matches uh, currently on six points. Colombia. A win and a draw so far. Have not faced um, Brazil just of yet, but they are on four points. Venezuela on one point after the uh, after the first opening two matches. We're going to discuss their situation in a second. Ecuador on no points after losing their opening match. And Peru also after losing their opening match uh, 4-0 to Brazil in that one. They are also on no points as well. Um, where do we start? You know what? Let me get your initial reaction first, and then you can lead the conversation and and kind of just dis, dis, you know discuss what we want to talk about you know what what are your thoughts so far well i think it's quite early to really make any concrete uh, conclusions uh, at least in the middle of this tournament when you know only how many like six teams out of 10 have only played two games at the time of recording that is having said that i think um i think we kind of painted a picture that was quite predictable when we did our preview, looking at the teams that were going to contend, obviously, if you look at the top four at the moment, those were kind of the teams that were going to be in the in the discussion. If all things go in the exact result, they would qualify. The same thing would be for Group B, at least in into my prediction. I think the big question was the, is going to be what happens to Peru and to Venezuela. But so far, it's it's been quite. Straightforward, I would say. I think obviously we can probably say that Brazil are probably the, the front runners, and you know, rightly so, they are the front runners, and they're demonstrating it. You know, seven goals, no, con- none, none of them conceded. Neymar getting a brace so far in the in the tournament. 
Um, you know, I, I think it would be very much catastrophic of them to not screw this up. I think they're going to secure that top spot. I think they're already secured in the knockout stage at this point, Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's really been a, a straightforward tournament. It's, it's kind of weird to say that. I, I think we're going to look at teams in the way that they perform. I, I'm going to look at two options. I'm going to look at it from two groups, actually. So I'm going to stay with Group B. I was actually a bit surprised on Colombia, to be fair. I, I think getting that 1-0 draw against Ecuador, um, you know, it was a really good goal. If you saw the replay of it, it's been replayed all, all over the um, all over Twitter. Uh, it's really good set-piece goal straight out of the training ground, Joe. And But even then, it, it looked very tight. Ecuador pushed and pushed, and it, it took a few Ospina saves to to have them get the three points. The same for Venezuela. I think it was kind of the the opposite where, you know, a, a player, a goalkeeper that we've always highly rated for points on giant jump, Wicarvarinas, had a really great game and really mm-hmm. stopped that Colombia attack from from making any shot, uh, any goals. Um, so, yeah, that, I think that's my big concern about how Colombia have fared so far where they're not as convincing as you would expect, especially when they had their new coach, Reynaldo Reda, and how they performed in the World Cup qualifiers. For Argentina, I I don't want to say we we got it right so far because you know they still have to play two more games, but you know they got the win against Uruguay, which was always going to be a tight affair anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in the game against Chile, you can see that this Argentina side still th- th- there's not really an idea. You look at how Messi's performing, and we, you know we had this discussion I think on on Twitter Spaces after that game uh, between Argentina and Uruguay is that you know we're, we're not seeing the players step up, and it's continuing to be a recurring issue for this Argentina side. You know, you look at Messi trying to pick up the ball in midfield. Obviously, we know what, what to expect from him, where he cuts inside, and he's going to beat you 100%. Um, but, you know, he don't see any of the initiatives being taken from the other teammates when Messi is doing all the working, all the the contributions and chances, and, you know, they don't have the, the finishers to to try to score case in point someone like Latara Martinez for example um so yeah I, I think early impressions are and obviously I'm happy for Paraguay to win against Bolivia it did take a a second half uh, comeback to do so but they eventually got it um but yeah I, I think so far it's kind of been predictable in a way but I think we're still not seeing the best outside of obviously Brazil mm-hmm. from the rest of the teams that are in this tournament mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 gonna go. I'm gonna work backwards from you, so I'll go back to Group A and I'll stick it. I'll stick there, um, and I'll stick to your messy point as well with him. We've seen him drop a little bit deeper into the midfield to pick up that ball and kind of do more with it. Uh, and something that we had commented on on the Twitter Spaces the other night is with Messi, and and you almost don't see this with the Barcelona Messi, or at least the Barcelona side that plays with Messi. And I think this is this goes back to my, my point that I've always made about Argentina and the way they, they haven't figured out how to play with Messi. M- Messi goes on the dribble. We know he's capable of beating, you know, 100 guys. They line up the janitor after the, the top 11, and he beats him too. It's He's capable of dribbling through two or three people. When he does it at Barca, he dribbles through two or three people, he makes a pass, and then the play progresses. In Argentina, though, he dribbles past through two, three people. He makes the pass, and they're looking to get that ball back to him immediately. You know, and you know, I, I don't want to say that Messi's exhausted, but when you've—I mean, any footballer, any any footballer in the world—I don't care who you are—you've made a run. You've dribbled two through two or three people, and you've made a pass. There are a lot of times where you don't entirely want that ball right back. You know, at least immediately. 
And they keep trying to feed him that ball back constantly. We saw it over and over again. We, we've seen you know many of the players do it. And it's just not the way to play with Messi. When he does that, he, he beats those people to allow you more freedom to then go and create and, and, and work with the rest of the team. And I think Argentina hasn't figured that out yet. We saw it happen many, many times against Uruguay, against an Uruguay inside that is going to be hard-nosed. They are going to be physical. We saw it in the match. And, and I think it put a little extra wear and tear on Messi. Having said that, Messi to me, and we said this also the other night, looks inspired. Right. He looks and maybe inspired is not the, the right word, but um, he looks up for the challenge of this Copa America. Now, whether his teammates clean up their act and perform, we, we talked about Lautaro Martinez and and his multiple misses uh, in this tournament so far. Um, whether they fix that, I think, is another question. But I think Messi's there for it. You know what I mean? He's he's ready to go. And it's going to be the question on the on the Argentinian team to help support him. There's rumors actually that in the next match coming up against Paraguay that uh, Lautaro might be, uh, might be benched for uh, Cunaguero. If I remember correctly, I think you, yeah, I saw that as well. Yeah. Yeah, And and you look at a player that is trying to, you know, obviously going to be playing with Messi at at his club, or at least for the time being. Mm -hmm. Um, He's definitely someone that is kind of more trustworthy and has a lot more experience in scoring as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, some of the other surprises uh, in this group so far, Chile for me, um, has punched above their weight a little bit. Um, drew one one with Argentina in their opening match. You know, a little bit less um, stellar against Bolivia in the second match. But uh, but again, like you said, Wilker, um, I'm sorry, not not, not Wilker Fernandez, is that a wrong wrong team. Um, you know, I, I would have expected them to do a little better against Bolivia. But at the same time, they look like a team that is well prepared for this tournament to me. And and I think they're going to be a tough challenge. I think they're going to be there. Um, towards the end, Uruguay again. First match, we don't know what to expect from them so much. Uh, we did see Suarez and Cavani on the pitch at the same time. That was excellent. Um, and then P- Paraguay, um, obviously not not entirely on the front foot to start that match against Bolivia, but uh, but really got it going in the second half and then scored um, two goals in three minutes uh, to really take hold of that match and then and then ultimately win it. I think I think they fare well and I think um, and I think we're going to see an interesting match against Argentina coming up um, actually tomorrow night at the at the time of this yeah, recording. So that's right. it's going to be fun to see. Um, going back down to Group B, um, you know this this group laid out for us um, exactly the way we thought. Right? I mean, this was if there was a black and white group, this was the black and white group. It was Brazil first for sure. Colombia is going to be there, and then we're going to have to figure out the rest. Um, and, and that's kind of how it lays out at the moment with the, with the top three teams. Um, Wilco Farinas, which is what I wanted to go to for Venezuela, played the second match uh, against, against Colombia. Colombia were really, I don't know, I don't have the match stats in front of me, but Colombia were dominant in that match. They finally played um, Luis Muriel and Duvan Zapata up top together, which they did not do in the first match against Ecuador. And... And and they looked like they were really on the front foot, but really between trying to break down Venezuela and then trying to break down Wilker Farinas um, were just too too big of a task. I think it's funny in this group um, there have only been eight goals scored. The goals are Edwin Cardona for Colombia against Ecuador, and seven Brazilian goals. So you know no one else has scored in this match or in this group. Venezuela has not scored a goal yet. Ecuador has not scored. Peru has not scored yet. Uh, granted, Ecuador and Peru have only played one match each. 
but the, no one else has netted a goal, and Brazil is just steamrolling. And they're getting it from everywhere, by the way. Marquinhos, Gabriel Barbosa, Neymar, who's who's the only player with two goals. And I believe, if I remember correctly, I'm going to go back and look, Neymar currently leads all scores in the Copa America with... Uh, uh, he's tied He's tied with it with, with Angel Romero. With an, right. And then uh, and Angel Romero only has two goals, no assists. Neymar, two goals, one assist. So, and again, it's early stages of the, of the tournament, but... Um, Neymar's Neymar's performed quite well in this, um, but they're getting it from everywhere. Um, you know, Richarlison scored, Alexandro scored, or Marquinhos, the opening goal of the tournament for them. You know, they're getting it everywhere, and they look like a team that is playing comfortably at home. They look like a team that is going to be impossible to beat. I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, we we kind of predicted that Brazil were ahead of every team in this tournament. It looks even more. Um, more stark than it did when we first did the preview with Roy. We, you know, this really looks like this is going. I don't even know that Argentina is going to be capable of challenging them because they are so good offensively and defensively and in possession. They just they just hold the ball from you and you don't get it. And and that's what we've seen so far. Again, with Brazil, they've played two of the weaker teams in the tournament. They've played Venezuela, um, a Venezuela team that is. Uh, really in trouble if you think about it, Roberto. Uh, would they have twelve cases of COVID? They pretty yeah, much, something like that. Yeah, they pretty much had to revamp the team, a team that just came off of World Cup qualifying. They, you know, no Joseph Martinez. They're, they're, I think they're missing Thomas Rincon as well, who's a big leader for them in the midfield, um, and really does a great job of kind of holding up that play. You know, the attacking play. There's there's a lot of pieces missing from that Venezuelan side, and. And then they come into Brazil to open the open the tournament. Uh, you know, it's it's just it's an enormous task. I think if anyone should be excited about this, it should be Peru, because Peru comes in quote unquote healthy. Uh, Christian Cueva has played very very well over uh, you know in their first match against uh, Brazil, even though four nil defeat. I thought he did a, an excellent job in the midfield for them, and I think that ultimately Peru might be able to take advantage of the miss, miss uh, the misfortunes of Venezuela and having all those COVID cases and maybe sneak out of um, out of the group here where when we did our preview with Roy, we said that uh, Peru was probably uh, going to be the team finishing last. So, uh, you know, interesting stuff there as well. The, the race to stay in this tournament is going to be interesting in Group B, but Group B for me is decided. Brazil won, Colombia two, and Colombia is going to end up with, you know, a couple of, uh, they're going to end up with Peru here and then, uh, and then Brazil to close. I, I think there might be an opportunity for some of these teams to catch up, but but ultimately, I think it's going to be um, you know Brazil, then Venezuela. I'm sorry, Brazil, Colombia, and then we'll see the fight for the last two spots. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I think that's the the only way I see it so far, and it, it kind of unless some huge magical turnaround. We kind of said this in our preview, or even in the spaces as well. That I think if there was only one team that could indeed contend and fight for Brazil, it's Argentina. Mm-hmm. But the thing for Argentina is that. You know, you're going to have to see the best Argentina possible. You're going to have to see the best Lionel Messi. And more importantly, you have to see all those other players step up for Lionel Messi in order for them to contend. So there's a lot of factors going on. One, one question that I want to point to here, because, I, you know, for me, Argentina's weakness is its defense. Although they just beat Uruguay 1-0, you know, shutting down Luis Suarez and Edson Cavani. Um, do, do you feel that the Argentina side can be better defensively? Do you think that match... That, that match against Uruguay was a little bit more of the rust of Uruguay, the tendency to play more physical and less finesse um, that really did them in because it was the Rodriguez goal in the 13th minute and then it was nothing. 
Um, you know, but Uruguay was on the front foot many, many times. Some some close misses for for Luis Suarez in that match. Do you, do you think that Uruguay can get this turned around and and really make a showing here and maybe just maybe be one of those teams that might challenge Brazil in this one? Especially, I'm, the reason I say is because that team is is awesome defensively. You know, Diego Godin. He looked like he was twenty six years old out there that night, and and they're physical. They're very physical, and that's the kind of club or kind of kind of team that I think could really cause Brazil problems because of their physicality. So what, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, but but here's the thing. They're going to have to get that goal. They're going to have to be more yeah. creative in the midfield. I mean, you know, they've gone, what, three games now without winning, and then they haven't even – I think they only scored one goal or something. So mm-hmm. they need to get that on the front foot right now because otherwise, you know, it is tournament football, and you can indeed go and, and win on penalties and all that. But at least for now, they I, I think for Uruguay, for the talent that they had, they cannot be playing in this style, especially when you're going to be headed up against possibly a Brazil or a Colombia. Yeah. They will try to go at you um, if needed. Sure. Big challenge coming up for them on Monday night as well because they're going to they're going to face Chile in that. And, you know, that's by all accounts right now, the second best team, actually the best team in this group, um, like you said, by fair play points. Um, That's going to be a big challenge to go Argentina and then Chile right off the bat one and two. You know, technically the the schedule gets a little softer for them in Bolivia. But then but then Paraguay to close this. It's going to be interesting to see how quickly they can get their feet under them especially during against chile to see if they can turn that around and and be that team that we you know we just talked about so uh let's let's table our discussion there um you know just i'm gonna mix in match of the week as we go along here uh so you know for for this week uh uruguay chile is going to be on monday and then on thursday we're gonna see chile paraguay uh in this particular group so there's those are a couple matches to watch out for this week uh, today, which is uh, which is currently Sunday, you're going to see Colombia Peru to see if, if Colombia can get uh, can score more goals, and and then we're going to go to Tuesday, I believe it is. I'm sorry, Wednesday, where we'll see uh, Brazil Colombia. That's going to be the big one. Uh, so Colombia getting ready for that big match on uh, on coming up midweek. So keep an eye out for both of those matches coming up, and then we'll give you some Euro matches to watch as well when, after we're done talking to Carlo. Um, but let's get our guest in here. Again, we are uh, lucky to have Carlo Garganese from the Italian Football Podcast join us on the show. We're going to jump into the Euros now and discuss it as well. So let's get our guest in here and discuss Euro 2020. And joining us now on the Low Limit Football Podcast is Carlo Garganese from the Italian Football Podcast. Carlo, welcome back to the show. It's been a while, and we're glad we were able to get you back for this. I want to open a question quickly. Is something that Roberto and I were just talking about, and that is the Italian national team. Obviously have been massively impressive so far in this Euro competition. But, you know, you kind of want to put your finger on who is, quote-unquote, the best player of the tournament for Italy so far. I have my answer. I already told it, I already said it to the audience, but I'd like, I'd like to surprise you a little bit and say, in your opinion, who has been the best player on Italy so far over the opening two matches? Ooh. Well, there's been a lot of them, hasn't there? So yeah. it's difficult to pick out just one player, but... I think I'd probably have to go between either Spinazzola uh, or or Jorginho. I'd probably go for one of the two because I think Italy's midfield has completely dominated and been so impressive. And Jorginho has been the, the main man in dictating everything from the midfield. Uh, and then on the left, you've had Spinazzola, who's been just devastating as an individual in terms of just taking the game and stretching the play and taking on men and... He's been really fantastic down the left-hand side. 
Yeah, you know, and that was my point was uh, was for me, the top player so far has been Spinazzola um, to the point where it makes me cry that Juve let him go, <laughs> you know, because he I mean, not that we've had terrible wingbacks, uh, you know, on the team so far, but he's just been so phenomenal. Luca Pellegrini. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, it's just yeah, yeah. It's what we got in return was was terrible, but he's just Spinazzola has been so refreshing. I know everyone's really focused on the the job Locatelli did in the second match. Um, you know, people talking about that. Like you said, Jorginho has had a massive um, influence in both matches so far. Immobile has been scoring, which is something that you know people wanted to be focused on in terms of keeping him active and focused. Uh, Insigne has been pretty good as well. Berardi has not really missed much of a step. Uh, you know, they, they've done done very, very well here so far. But yeah, for me, it's been Spinazzola where it was really made that left side just tick, especially when he worked with Insigne. Uh, it's been something magical. So I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, aside from the Italy points, let's talk about the Euros in general. I mean, obviously, we had a massive scare with Christian Eriksen. And thank God he's all right. He's been um, fitted with an internal defibrillator for now. And and obviously, we'll see if he's able to return a career uh, a football or if uh, he's going to sail off in the sunset, hopefully healthy and safe and well, um, and which is the most important thing when we, when we talk about the situation. But uh, aside from the scare, we've had a quite the exciting Euro so far. What have your been impre- your impressions of the tournament so far? Uh, teams that have surprised you to the good side teams that teams that may have surprised you to the bad side. Yeah. Well, from the teams that have impressed me um, to the good side, surprised me, let's say, uh, Holland, Netherlands. Um, I wasn't expecting too much from them purely because of their coach, uh, Frank De Boer, who's been such a disaster in his last few jobs at, at uh, well, at Inter. We saw what happened at Inter, and we saw what happened at Crystal Palace. I think Jose Mourinho said he's the, called him the worst manager ever <laughs> in the history of football or the history of the Premier League. Um, so I wasn't expecting too much from them, but they've 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 been good, I think, in both in both games. Um, and so they've been a positive surprise. And in terms of, um, from a negative point of view, uh, I would say England haven't impressed me in terms of how they've played. They need to improve a lot um, if they're gonna if they're gonna go live up to their, you know, being one of the two favourites. Everybody was saying before the, the the tournament with the bookmakers, everyone was saying France and England are the two favourites, so I thought they were very, very poor against Scotland. Um, you know, you've had, I would say that apart from Italy, though, apart from Italy and maybe Holland, no one's really been consistent uh, in over two games, over both games, both in terms of the result and in terms of the performance. Because if even if you look at Belgium, I mean, Belgium have won both their games, but I thought in the game against Denmark, they were really outplayed for most of that game and, and were very, very lucky. To, to win that game. They were kind of bailed out by by the, a couple of moments, really, from their, their star players, Lukaku and, and uh, De Bruyne, when he came off the bench. But, you know, Denmark... Um, you know, I think Denmark have been the, most, the unluckiest team in the tournament so far. Um, they, they've dominated both their matches and they've got no points. And it'll be really, really unlucky from, from, from if they were to go out. But, you know, it looks like they've still got a good chance of going through as long as Belgium beat... Um, Finland and they win their game they'll, they'll go through so um, I hope they go through they've been very unlucky and it's also you know we, it'd be nice to see them go through also for Ericsson um, but yeah elsewhere I mean uh, I think um, Spain have been a bit of a disappointment they've they've been sterile in both games they've, I mean they've dominated possession I think they have they've had like 
over 75% possession, possession average over the two games. But they were very, very bad on Saturday in their game. They just didn't really ever look like creating. Just don't seem to have the firepower. So, you know, there could be, if there's one team, one big team that's really at risk of going out, maybe it's Spain because they need to win their last game against Slovakia. Uh, draw may not be enough to put them through. So, yeah, they they could be at, at risk because they're, they're the kind of team that they just don't look like scoring. Now, to your point again about Croatia, Carlo, I mean, we, we saw this team go all the way to the final three years ago with a, with a generation of players. And, and do you feel that after what we've seen so far at the Euros is that, you know, that they're basically done as a golden generation? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I didn't mention Croatia because I... To be honest with you, I wasn't really expecting much from them in this tournament. They they don't have anything, really, in attack. I mean, they've been playing Rebic, or they started with Rebic in both games in the striker position. And anybody that watches Serie A knows that he can't play as a central striker. He needs to play from the left. Um, he's never really done it for Milan, filling in in that position, not consistent, not consistently. Um, and then, the, you know, the midfielders that they've got, they've still got some excellent midfielders, but, you know, most of them are kind of ageing. You know, Modric is 35 now. Uh, Rakitic has, has, has moved on. Mandzukic has left. Uh, the the defence is, is not good at all. It's not strong at all. Um, so, yeah, it, it doesn't, yeah, it, it, it hasn't surprised me to see them struggle. And, you know, they've got Scotland now. They need to win that game to go through um but even if they do go through I, I can't see them yeah i can't see them going very far in this tournament now going back to your point about italy obviously you know obviously one of the teams that i think has impressed all of us so far and even for my case i think the best team right now at the euros and looking at how you know especially that group of death with france who obviously you know got the win against germany um you know was disappointing in their draw against hungary germany obviously getting their loss against them Portugal getting their loss against Germany as well. I mean, you, you look at three teams that are up there as one of the favorites, and then you look at a team like Italy who have done so well so far. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to change my mind yet. I, I like this Italy side. I think Joe and I have agreed that this isn't a side that is not a dark horse. I think these are a side of players that are there for to contend because of the experience that they have. But you think after viewing, especially those games in the in the last group, Carlo, that you know, Italy have that kind of, in a way, confidence in saying, yeah, we can, we, we, if we're up against these guys, we can definitely beat them and we can definitely make a, a mark in this tournament, which obviously would mean to win it. Yeah, I, I don't see why they can't contend. With the, I mean, I, I said at the beginning of the tournament, and I'm sticking with it, I thought that Italy would have a very good tournament. I thought that they would, quarterfinals, semifinals was very, very doable. And then from there, you know, maybe I thought they maybe might fall a little bit short because I don't believe that they have the 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 world class players in attack. Certainly in the number nine position, I know Immobile started well, um, but you know, even in the last game with Immobile, we saw him need four chances, good chances, before he scored one. You know, and when you play in a semi-final or a quarter-final or semi-final against the big boys, you're not going to get that many chances. You need to be more clinical than that. Um, so that's my, still my concern about Italy, whether they have the, the firepower against the, the best teams. Um, but, you know, having said that, though, I think as a team, actually as a team, as a unit, as a well-drilled outfit with everybody knowing positionally, tactically what they're doing and moving as a unit, 
uh, from defence to midfield to attack, I think Italy have been the most impressive team. And that that will alone will take them far. You know, we've seen other teams, even Belgium, in my opinion, um, look very disjointed, you know, big gaps between the defence and the midfield and the attack in their game against Denmark. Whereas you watch Italy and they're all moving as a unit. They all look, they look like a club team, as, as a lot of people have been saying. They, they don't look like a team, you know, but only train together a few times a year. So, so in that sense, I think as a team, Italy definitely, um, definitely can go very, very far. Um, obviously, when you get to the latter stages, you know, there's gonna, the dynamics going to change this tournament. You know, Italy have played all their games in the group at home. So have Holland. You know, that is a big, big advantage. And that's going to obviously make them give them a lot more, uh, a lot more and a lot more energy. Uh, we've seen Italy looking really fit, pressing, you know, unbelievable pressing. Uh, and they run six kilometres more than Switzerland in their last game. I mean, if they can keep that fitness up and play with those kind of energy levels every game, then sure, they can definitely go, you know, potentially go all the way. But, you know, with a, when they're away from Rome and they're going to be playing on a neutral venue and the same for the other teams that have had their, their home games. I mean, I thought Germany were outstanding against Portugal. But again, they were on, on home ground. So the dynamic is going to change. There's a lot of unknowns um, still to come. And when you get to the latter stages, you know, experience counts. And that's why I, I think still now that France, for me, are the, are the favourites still, uh, the strong favourites, because, you know, they've been there. They've been to two finals in a row. They've got the world-class individuals. They've got the world-class attack, which, you know, a team like, for me, like Italy, don't have. Um, so, you know, I think France definitely the favourites. But after France, I, I don't see anyone that Italy should fear. Now, and, and Joe, I'm going back to you on this one because we had spoken about this for quite some time. It's I think when you look at how both these teams have fared so far, and I even put it in my bracket... I think if France were to play Italy in that semifinal, I, I think you have your champion there. The winner of that game, regardless of who they play in the final, I, I think there is a strong case that you're going to have your, your champion of the Euros. Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of people might want to make a case for Belgium. Um, Carlo, you make actually a very good case for the Dutch, especially, you know, in that second match. Uh, Matthias De Ligt was fantastic, uh, you know, in terms of his overall play. It was it was a big piece. And you worry about that team if they had like a Virgil van Dijk as well. And, you know, they're missing Donny van de Beek. So they're missing some pieces that, you know, would have been fantastic if they would have had them. But, um, yeah, right now, Italy and France are, are they've clearly separated themselves from the rest of the bunch. But the rest of the bunch is is very is very close to me, you know, you know, in terms of my opinion, I think Germany uh, can challenge Portugal. If England find their way, um, they could be very dangerous, but you know, they haven't done that yet. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about Belgium as well. That's another team. And, and then some of these teams that are kind of being becoming a little more of an upstart. Um, the, the Czech Republic has done very, very well in, in my opinion so far, you know, which has been kind of shocking. Patrick Schick has really done a, a fantastic job and, and really burst onto the scene as one of the standout players of the tournament so far. Um, you know, we mentioned the Dutch, even the Ukrainian side, you know, I, I think has been very, very good. And Carlo, you and I am focusing a lot on Serie A, um, watching, uh, watching a guy like uh, Malinowski, uh, the Atalanta midfielder, you know what he can do. And, and he's kind of had some you know, some, some bits and pieces of that here for the Ukrainian side. You know, I think they're teams that can cause trouble, um, but I don't know that they could beat Italy or France the way both teams are playing now, especially Italy, the way where they're high flying. Um, have there been any other standout players for you besides guys like Patrick Schick, um, besides guys like Spinazzola or Locatelli, um, you know, or, or, you know, 
some of the other ones that we've talked about, have there, has there been anybody else that you wanted to mention in terms of quality so far going forward? Well, I think if we, I mean, Lukaku has been has been fantastic in both games for 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 Belgium. I mean, I think you take Lukaku out of that Belgium team, and I think I really think that that team isn't going to go very far at all. Um, he really is, you know, he is he's he's really grown into one of the top three strikers in the world now. And I, you know, I was a bit of a critic of him when he was at United. He's Antonio Conte's done such an amazing job. So I think Lukaku has been. Uh, probably the best striker in the in the tournament so far. Um, I think if you look elsewhere, you mentioned uh, Malinovsky. I think Yaremchuk has been a, a positive surprise up, up 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 front for Ukraine. He's he's shown. I think he's been linked with Milan now. He's somebody I think that can definitely play. I think he plays in Belgium. He's definitely someone that can play at a, a higher level. He looks quite useful. Dumfries has been really really impressive for for Holland. Everybody knows about Holland's two centre-backs, um, De Ligt and, and De Vrij, who are fantastic. And I think Holland have also got an excellent central midfield. But down the right-hand side, Dumfries, who scored the other night, he's been like a motor up and down, up and down. And again, he's somebody also that Milan are interested in. Um, he's he's really, really, uh, really, really come out. Um, Gosens for, for, for Germany was absolutely fantastic in the second game. Um, against Portugal, he was involved in all four goals, um, and um, yeah, I was I was speaking to someone earlier. I mean, he's got to be for me the most uh, underpaid footballer in the world. He's on eight hundred thousand euros a season at Atalanta, which is just unbelievable. Eight hundred thousand. I mean, if you get any footballer that's getting paid under a million, is is like is poor basically in football terms. And you know, this is one of the best, probably one of the best left wing backs uh, in the in Europe for me um, so he's he's been really really impressive um, but um, but yeah I think yeah I think those are yeah after, without looking into it deep, deeper I think those are the, the main ones from the, from the other countries yeah a great shot on, on Yaremchuk as well he's, he's done very very well at Ukraine he's got two of their four goals so far um, and has certainly been a shining light taking a little of that pressure off of Yarmolenko as well um, moving through this tournament and and boy the, this tournament you know we've talked about I know we have our, our special love for the Serie A this has really been an advertisement for the for Atalanta and the Serie A and what they've done as if they didn't do enough already in Champions League between, <laughs> yeah. you know between between Muriel and Zapata for Colombia going down to the uh, the Copa America between Malinovsky we've talked about and Toloi's going to see action today for Italy um, you know Robin Gosens as well I mean it's just been this massive and Miranchuk as well yeah. scored for Russia. He scored the winner for Russia, and he's like seventh choice in in the pecking order, or sixth choice in the pecking order for the position that he's for the attacking midfield position. You know, Imagine. it's unbelievable the, the players, the scouting, the the, the the transfer market, the business that they do at Atalanta, and you know we're in the European chat. They're the eleventh highest wage bill in Italy, and you know all these all these players are shining in uh, in the Euros. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic club. Before we let you go, I just have a couple more quick, quick questions. Um, I want to go back to uh, to Group F in this, which was dubbed the Group of Death. Here, Hungary, you know, made a great showing yesterday against France, drawing one one with them, and uh, you know, really kind of at least announcing their presence in this group, a, a group that they were kind of you know outcasts on. Going to make that last match against Germany coming up in a few days. 
with the with the potential where France could beat Portugal and with a, with a result, Hungary over Germany, you could possibly see uh, Portugal to get knocked completely out of this tournament. Do you feel that Hungary has a chance against Germany to possibly do, upset the apple cart? Or do you think this will go kind of, you know, as according to plan and, and, and ultimately Portugal will probably get in as the third place side? Yeah, I would say, I mean, if Germany play anywhere near the level that they did against Portugal, I'd say very unlikely that Hungary can get a result because the game's in Munich as well. If it was on a neutral ground or if it was played in Hungary again, like the game that in Budapest, like the game that Hungary played against France, where they've got all their crowd behind them, then then yeah, there's, there, there could be a possibility. But I think that Germany, they, they hit their stride in that game against uh, Portugal. And, and, and while I think that Germany have their weaknesses i'm not sure about their defense at all um but i think their midfield is absolutely outstanding i think along with italy they've got the best midfield in the tournament i mean they've they've got everything i mean they've got two fantastic wide wide midfielders in, in gosens and um kimmich and then in the middle they've got gundogan and and uh Kroos. i mean i mean there's just so much world-class quality through that midfield um and you know they're scoring goals and they're creating chances so yeah i, I don't I think it would be difficult for, for Hungary to live with them. But but as you mentioned, with Portugal, um, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's not impossible they could go out if they lose and they only have three points from the group. Um, we have to see, you know, what happens in the other groups. Mm-hmm. How many points the other third place teams get. Um, four, of the six go, four of the six teams go through. So, you know, the odds are with you, but three points, um, yeah, three points, in, I think... In, in my other tournaments, three points has often been enough to get you through as a best third place team. But this one, um, may, it may not be. Now, now, Rob, I know you have one more question before we let Carlo go. Uh, why don't you jump on in? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I just had one quick question, Carlo. Just looking at England, obviously, you know, very disappointing in the game against Scotland. Really had a, a hard match against Croatia, even though they got the win. And, you know, there's been a lot of critics given to Sarah Southgate and this team. A lot of these players not stepping up. The likes of Harry Kane. I know you're also not really a big fan of Deckard and Rice as well, as I've seen on your Twitter. So I'm just asking real quick, you know, do they turn us around? Do you see any kind of, not sign of hope, I would say, but like, you know, something that really would work for this side heading into the knockout stages? <laughs> yeah, well, that they've got quality. They've got individual quality in the attack, in the attacking positions. I mean, I, w- I would say after France, probably there's not another team with more quality in attack. You know, I'm talking about attacking midfielders and wingers, and obviously Harry Kane um, as the striker. And there's so there's so much, there's so many goals, and so much creativity in that team. The problem I think that England have had so far is uh, they can't get the ball forward to them. Um, that sounds really simplistic, but if primarily look at the central midfielders that England have, or the central midfielders that England have, that Southgate has been playing: Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips. I know Phillips got an assist in the first game, a really good assist. But, you know, these are players that they're more destroyers and runners rather than uh, players that can, can control the midfield, can dictate the, the, the tempo of the game and can make line-breaking dribbles and passes into the, into the final third so that they give the ball to, to the likes of Sterling and Foden and Mason Mount and Sancho if he plays and, and, and Harry Kane and so you know, they're having the trouble getting the ball into these players. And that is so, that is really, really important. And, and just dominating possession and territory where it matters. Um, so they need to find a way to, to sort that out. Um, whether that means changing 
one of their central midfielders. Um, maybe they need to drop one of those two. I think they, they definitely need to drop one of them. Um, but the problem is, you know, Henderson, Jordan Henderson, he hasn't played really since February. So how match fit is he going to be if they bring him in? And then you've got Bellingham, who is obviously a really, really big talent, but he's, what is he, 18? And, and you know, I, I honestly haven't seen enough of him to know whether he can make the, the difference in terms of being that kind of tempo dictating player. I think may, if there's one weakness really in this squ- England squad, that is maybe what it is. It's the centre of their midfield. Um, so that would be, that is my concern with England going forward. I mean, they're going to qualify from the group uh, and they have enough quality that, you know, they can turn it around. But they definitely need to get, they need, definitely need to get the system right uh, and get their, you know, they don't, like Italy, we, we said Italy looked like a team. England don't. They don't look like they've got an identity. Uh, and that, that's, prob- I think, been their problem so far. Amazing. We're talking about England in this light. And, and it's, of course, because they've only scored one goal in two matches, but it's almost Italian-esque the way they are doing just enough in a group stage of a major tournament to qualify and move through to the knockout stages. You know, it's, it's, it's almost crazy to think about it that way, but it's truly, it's become that, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they have to. I mean, I think definitely the the performance against Croatia was very Italian. Definitely. Uh, But the performance against Scotland wasn't so Italian in the sense that I think England really, they conceded a lot of chances. I mean, I know a lot of people have been saying, well, you know, England, they still haven't conceded a goal. You know, people have been overly critical. Well, the only reason they didn't concede a goal against Scotland was they were fortunate. You know, they were fortunate. That's the only reason, you know, Scotland had create, created big chances, lots of, you know, a lot of big chances in that game. And Scotland, you know, Scotland are lacking in quality in attack. If Scotland had had a better attackers, better, better strikers, they would have, you know, they would have scored. They don't have that, Scotland. Um, so, you know, that they were fortunate to, to get a draw. Um, they definitely need to improve. Uh, but, but the one thing I would say that's definitely in England's favour is, um, you know, most of this tournament is going, to be played, it's going to be played at Wembley. I think if they come top of the group, they will only play one game in the entire tournament uh, away from Wembley. And, you know, that is, a, as we've seen with Italy and Rome and, and Holland and Germany on Saturday, you know, having the home advantage is such a, it, it makes such a big, big difference. We've almost forgotten that because we've had a whole season played with no crowds. You know, home advantage is, is massive. It's massive. So that is definitely going to be a big advantage um, for, for England. No doubt. Before we let you go, Carlo, um, where can every, I know we mentioned the Italian football podcast that, that you do a great job with Nima Tavaleon, um, but where else can everybody find your work? Uh, just best to just just to just follow me on Twitter at Carlo Garganese, and you'll find uh, everything that I do. I, I put on there. So. Um, written work and and um, all my stuff when I when I go on TV, radio, and, and obviously the the Italian football podcast that I do with with Nima Tavali. Uh, I know he's a good friend of yours and uh, and John Solano. We we do uh, yeah we do a twice weekly um, twice weekly podcast. Uh, one podcast every Monday where we review the the past week uh, and and then we do an interview usually on a Thursday. Plus, um, plus a lot of bonus. We do a lot of bonus shows, bonus podcasts as well. We've been doing almost feels like we've been doing one a day recently. It's been <laughs> been really, really busy. So much going on at the moment. And you can and you can obviously sign up for them on Patreon. Um, but the nice thing is that the first pod of every month is for free. That's released out to everybody. So definitely yeah. make sure you get a listen, follow, and and contribute to them as well. So Carlo, thanks again for joining us on the show. Uh, always fantastic to have you on, mate. And looking forward to having you back again soon. 
Yeah, thanks, guys. Always a, it's always a pleasure speaking with you guys. And uh, yeah, enjoy enjoy the football, enjoy the rest of the tournament. And uh, yeah, we'll speak soon. And special thanks again to Carlo Garganese to joining us on the show. Um, always fantastic to catch up with him. Let's uh, let's look at some matches coming up this week as we uh, face the third round of the Euros. Um, again, uh, at the time of this recording, Italy, Wales, and Switzerland, Turkey kick off in just uh, a few moments. Um, and you'll probably be getting this podcast as that match kicks off uh, tomorrow. On Monday, we'll see Russia, Denmark, and Finland, Belgium. On uh, Tuesday, we're going to see North Mas- I'm sorry, actually Monday as well. North Macedonia, Netherlands. We forgot to mention Goran Pandev, by the way. Um, and Ukraine, Austria uh, should be a, a great matchup to see who will advance there. Uh, in Group D, we're going to move on to Tuesday, where we're going to see Croatia, Scotland, and the Czech Republic, England. And uh, as well as uh, on Wednesday, we're going to go to Slovakia, Spain, Spain in trouble as they try to get through Sweden, Poland, another team uh, in Poland that is in trouble. And the final match of the group stages coming up, Portugal, France, uh, quite the match. Uh, and uh, and Germany, Hungary going to kick off this week, uh, I believe, on Wednesday. So uh, definitely keep an eye out for those matches and then we'll hit the knockout stages and uh, the final group stage matches of the Copa America as well. Mr. Rojas, before we uh, got into our discussion of all the football that we've seen so far in the past couple weeks, I gave you a trivia question. And I'd like to repeat it. Go for it. All right. So Stefan Moulin from Angers was the was the most tenured coach or the longest tenured coach in the top five leagues before leaving his post at the end of the season in Ligue 1. With his departure, who is now the longest tenured coach in the top five leagues in Europe? I have one name that I hope is right, but uh, I'm going to say it's Diego Simeone of Atlético Madrid. El Cholo is the longest and tenured coach now, right now, in the top five leagues in Europe. That is a great... I I said, if you don't get this one, you're going to be pretty upset um, because it's such a great name and and such a big coach and sought after. Um, But uh, but certainly one of the biggest names out there in world football. So without any uh, further ado, my friend, uh, let's hit the closing music and put a cap on this show. Without any further ado, the closing music. So, for episode 239 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Carlo Garganese to join us on the show. Next week, we'll recap the knockout stages of both the Euros and the Copa America and possibly start to get ready for uh, the Gold Cup here in the United States as they get ready to kick off. So, for episode 239 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Ross. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.